Blog Talk Radio. So vast, so great, the African embrace, the color of life, universal harmony, the earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity, human beings. Human love on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African embrace. Live beyond love beyond your skin. To where you belong. Sick as a 
Look at the club, original one. Say what's up with the club? It's from town, let me keep up town, let me keep this town. Say what's up with the club? Say what's up with the club? Say what's up with the club? Original one. Say what's up with the club? Oh, when I get what I want to original, the Moyaka should be dancing, dancing now. So we don't give a fuck when you drink a tear, so no, you're never ever going to drink a tear. Rock the flat, but there is a flow, she breaks bitches, man, what a bit below. I know my mother, my mother, she doubts, I go to town, but you're going to go to the real. Stand up with that for original, nigga.
That's right. We'd like to hear your reflections on the year 2021 and the past. That's our theme for tonight. And like always, you know how we do it on Africa on the Moon. We're going to set in the seat and we're going to take the heat. Because as we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We may not give you what you want, but we definitely try to give you what you need. And on that note, we're going to bring in now and our political panelists and analysts for today's program. We'd like to welcome them. And we'll start off first with Brother Haki and welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haki. Uh, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. I'm Haki Kamafi Mashoki. And, of course, you know my thing is all about institution building. But I know we're brief on time tonight, Brother Africa, so let me get right to the point. Uh, one of my real concerns is that this question around uh, the legacy of a monopoly finance capitalism. We've got, we got a situation in society where essentially, uh, because of money, you've got a relatively few number of people, a carball of, of sorts, who actually runs the affairs of the state. And, of course, that has real, real dangerous implications, you know, for society at large. But nonetheless, that's where we find ourselves. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about the legacy of monopoly finance capitalism and hope that people appreciate just how precarious the situation is as it pertains to humanity, uh, not only in this country but throughout the world. In event, Brother Africa, listen to this. Monopoly finance capitalism is an economic social system dominated by corporations that set the rules for the state. Implicit in finance, monopoly finance capitalism is the preference of income over consumption. Policies under monopoly finance capitalism seeks to elevate the pursuit of profit to the exclusion of a cohesive society. Monopoly finance capitalism is a result of evolutionary processes of capitalism's predilection to conflict human value or human worth with material possession. In this context, profits evolve to represent more than just the success of business, but the essence of human relationships. Those having access to wealth were viewed favorably, while those without wealth were viewed as the lower order. People who stake in society was not only irrelevant, but could never be taken seriously. Since profits was the catalyst that distinguished the esteemed lives of the wealthy from the dregs of society, profit calculations were scrutinized closely. Historically, under capitalism, profit fluctuations have been of immense concern. The long-term decline of the rate of profitability among the productive sectors of capitalism has been of concern to U.S. capitalists for some time. Chronicles indicate the decline of profits beginning in 1965 to 1970s. Uh, some improvement of profits between 1982 to 1997, but only two-thirds of the 1965 level. By late 1997, profits continuing its downward spiral to recover slightly by 2006, still below 1995 levels. This was followed by sharp drops in profits in 2008, in part due to subprime debacle, which took the, the profit rate roughly to the 1965 level. Now, given this history of the precariousness of profits, a different economic mandate was needed, one that guaranteed profits for the ruling class. President Nixon and his economic advisors agreed. In 1971, Richard Nixon, President Richard Nixon, abandoned the gold standard and replaced it with, with fiat currency. Simply stated, fiat currency made it possible for the U.S. government to print money endlessly. Because the currency lacked value, keep in mind, historically, money is always backed by gold or silver, as a means of establishing value, now we have a situation where, the, where money is printed, just paper money without value, which could be printed and distributed globally, ensured access to money among global capitalists. Allocation of large sums of money was one thing, but limiting one, who has access to this money was another. 
a process to streamline who should have access to large sums of free money was needed. Both Thatcher and Reagan heeded the call. Both Prime Minister Thatcher and President Reagan were considered free marketeers. Thatcher advocated small government, with the exception of military and the strength of the currency, lower taxes, and privatization or pro-business. Reagan advocated tax cuts, decreased social spending, increased military spending, deregulation of businesses. Reagan's plan was quite simple. One, to reduce inflation by lowering government spending. In other words, excessive money printing is inflationary, so this problem of inflation could be reduced by limiting social spending, i.e. Medicare, Medicare, and Social Security, education, housing, and health. Secondly, by controlling the money supply, <clears throat> by using interest rates, the price of borrowing money becomes too expensive. Only the wealthiest could afford to borrow, while states must cut services to meet their financial obligations. Thirdly, we distributed the tax burden by shifting taxes from income to consumption and placing tax burdens on consumers or working people. Reagan not only encouraged higher prices, but in essence, transferred wealth from the most vulnerable to the most, to the most wealthy in society. Ironically, she pointed out that both Reagan and Thatcher policies align with the exception of the level of criminality employed to which the wealth is access to free money. Under Reagan, laws which prohibited using free money to buy back stocks among corporations were allowed. Historically, economic president re- recognized stock buybacks would prevent money from reaching the real economy, which makes economic growth possible. Under Reagan, concerns of the real economy in terms of employment, education, housing, and health in lieu of his philosophy, were deemed unimportant. Ironically, what Reagan and Thatcher both achieved with their so-called revolution was to legitimize predatory behavior. The perfect example is the case of Hertz rental car. Hertz claimed bankruptcy but issued stocks that were worthless. 20,000 amateur investors bought the fake stock, believing the system would never allow this kind of fraud. Interestingly enough, fraud is a big part of the stock market. Just ask just ask the professional investors who got taken by J.P. Morgan's spoofing schemes. Now, this, now this cryptocracy of organized predators, assisted with excess of large sums of capital, were weaponized to jerk exploitation every conceivable way. This exploitation in no small way was and is made possible by a system that relegated poor people as superfluous or unimportant. Instead of innovating a system that increases access to capital among the poor, which economically speaking, stimulates the economic system by increasing productivity, consumption, and cohesion of society, they chose a system where economic crashes, economic recessions, and economic depressions are an intricate part of how, this, how it works. Ironically, strategies that justify excessive money printing as a means to eliminate the need for consumer dollars were widely successful in getting money into the hands of the economic elite, but little else. The disparity in wealth between the yachts and the have-nots have grown tremendously, but the economic dislocation it engenders has created instability, economic malaise, and corporate debt in its wake. Ultimately, this strategy eliminating the masses from economic participation has compelled the ruling class to declare war on the masses of people. Pitting the people against each other around ethnicity, gender, and class can only end badly. The fastest, the fastest, the ruling class uses this, the fastest this ruling classes uses to advance their interests is evident. Samir Ahmed stated, quote, fastest forces, even when marginal, see their best opportunity in the course of protracted crisis and may even offer monopoly capital its most viable strategy of accumulation, end quote. 
As such, it is understood the stimulus package approved by Congress had less to do with legitimate expression of concern for poor people, but more in attempts to appease the masses out of fear they'll come to see too clearly the shenanigans being played. When President Biden advocated $6 trillion to build back better, he knew this amount would not be approved. After months of discussion, the bill was agreed, was agreed even $3 billion was too much of an investment on working people. The notion of poor people having no intrinsic value wins clear. While Biden pushed for and won increases in the military budget to $768 billion a year, the same sense of urgency was not applied to build back better. Now, we're talking about expenditures, which has $3 billion over a period of 10 years. When we talk in context for the military, we're talking about $768 billion every year. And, that, of course, that price continues to rise based upon inflation. It goes without saying, monopoly finance capitalism is quite clear who are the winners and who are the losers. And I think at this point, in, at this point in history, working people have to understand we are in fact the losers. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Okay, Brother Anthony, we won't be remiss. And we would like to say to you a happy belated birthday. We hope that you had a beautiful day on your birthday, and happy birthday to you. Thank you. All right, next we'll go to uh, Brother Moses and bring him in. Say, welcome to Africa on the Move, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe women hold up half the sky. That's why I support the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A-E-S. And the struggle continues to be to to expose the 1% and their interests as being diametrically opposed to the interests of the masses of the people. And this is our task, and we must uh, accomplish this if we are to have revolution. And so with that, I'd like to say thank you for allowing me to be on the show, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we go to our beloved sister, Eleanor, and we'd like to welcome her to Africa on the Move. Uh, good evening and happy new year to everyone and to our uh, uh, audience. Thank you, Brother Africa, for inviting me to participate in this forum. We're off to a wonderful new year, and uh, we're just working to mobilize workers throughout the United States to stand up for workers' rights, increase in wages, health care, and I believe that housing, education, and uh, 
very basic things like health care are basic human rights. And the United States needs to recognize these items as human rights. Uh, thank right. you so thank much, you. Brother. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, and to our supporter, listening audience. Of course, we wish you a happy new year. And since the new year, we hope we do things differently because we can learn from the past so we have a better future. What we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for the calls, and when we come back, we want you to join us at 323-679-0841, and we're going to discuss what's going on in your world and the community. We'll be right back. This is Brother Africa on Africa on the Moon. Thank you. 
you in a Milan Dig out me gold In a Milan Digging out me pearl In a Milan Dig out me diamond Here I go fight, 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 fight against the He got to fight
right. New Year 2022, we got to fight against capitalism. We got to fight against imperialism. We got to fight against neocolonialism. We got to fight against sexism. We got to fight against racism. And definitely got to fight against all systems and forms of oppression to oppress all mankind. Come and join us as part of our fighting against these forms of oppression. We will continue our dialogue of you with liberation propaganda. It's information that is geared towards helping you to liberate your people. And we're going to do this right now by making that transition to what's going on in your world and the community. And Brother Haki is going to kick us ballistic. He's going to give us some propaganda that can help liberate our people by sharing with us what's going on in his world and the community. Talk to me, Brother Haki. Yeah, Brother Africa, uh, I just want to talk briefly about this question in terms of this informal war that's been waged against the U.S. dollar. One of the things in terms of how the world globally finance system is situated uh, is leading uh, the planet as well as its countless number of human beings to destruction. And I think increasingly more and more countries have come to the realization that the, the paradigm has to change. And so this fight against, against the dollar is very, very real. And one of the uh, uh, metals that's playing a decisive role in terms of this war against the dollar is the attainment of gold. And so I want to talk a little bit about that, that uh, intersection between, you know, uh, gold and this war that's being waged against the dollar. And I want you to check this out, Brother Africa. Now, central banks through the world uh, holdings in gold have risen to a 31-year high. The purchasing of gold among Russia and China has been well documented, but the trend has extended to emerging economies like Thailand, India, and China, according to World Gold Council. While the purchasing of gold is increasing throughout the world, the situation is vastly different in Africa. Increases pertaining to gold purchases among African states have remained static, with most African countries holding gold reserves of just 3 to 20 metric tons of gold. Four African countries possess considerable amounts of gold reserves. The four countries, Algiers, which has 174 metric tons, South Africa, which has 125 metric tons, Libya has 117 metric tons, and Egypt has 80 metric tons. Uh, these gold reserves have not increased in two years, but the level of gold illegally smuggled out of Africa continues to increase. Using the United Arab Emirates as the gateway to smuggle gold from Africa, according to Rudders, much of this gold find markets for sale in the U.S., Europe, China, and other places. Most recent statistics report the United Arab Emirates imported $15.1 billion worth of gold from Africa in 2016 up for $1.3 billion in just 2006. Total weight of exported gold has believed to be around 446 metric tons, up from 67 metric tons in 2006. In assessing export manifestos, it was revealed no record existed of these gold exports among African records. This means not only was the gold exported informally, i.e. illegally, but in order to achieve this feat, wealthy individuals and or high-ranking government officials would have to facilitate the smuggling. This theft of gold is unfortunate because gold may well play a role in reestablishing legitimate trade as well as a mechanism for assessing the fair value of commodities. 
Historically, currencies were backed by gold so as to establish the worth of, of the currency. In establishing worth of, cur- of a currency, value of commodities were easily established, which benefited trade. One of the stipulations of the Bretton Woods Accords back in 44 was all trade be conducted by gold-backed currencies and the dollar. However, in 71, President Nixon abandoned the gold standard while reinforcing the early agreement established during Bretton Woods decreeing the dollar as the world's reserve currency. In other words, business transactions, particularly purchasing of oil, will be conducted in dollars. The advantages of the dollar as world reserve currency had two advantages. One, the U.S. could effectively control the global, global economy while liquidating its debt on outstanding bills by compelling other states to purchase dollars, thereby erasing U.S. debt. Secondly, the dollar as a reserve currency forces other states to subsidize U.S. debt. Under this agreement, arrangement, unlike other states, the U.S. can run budget deficits without regard to consequences. The U.S. is free to print money out of thin air because its reserve currency status mandates the purchase of dollars by other states. However, like all things abusive, it must come to an end. Voluminous amounts of dollars are inflationary, which contributes to value decreases of the dollar. In order for other states to engage in trade, they need more dollars to conduct trade. Theoretically, interest paid on U.S. dollars should be compatible with interest paid on other Western currencies. But with the instability of U.S. exchange rate, the dollar is no longer profitable compared to other Western currencies. The the inclination among many states is to abandon the dollar and return to a monetary standard that afforded states transparency in assessing the value of their currencies, which makes far more effective economic planning for states. Of course, the changes sought are not solely economic or political as well. Under the SWIFT system, all economic activity must flow through U.S. computers. This system gives the U.S. the right to sanction or steal finances belonging to other states. Countries like Zimbabwe, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Russia, Cuba, and China, to name a few, understand the disruption visited upon their economies when the U.S. implements sanctions or steals their resources. Worry of, of these illegal acts, many states have concluded a different paradigm is needed, one that respects international law while mitigating imperialism's reach. The, parad- the paradigm they seek is only achievable under a different international order that values human rights. That process starts when states are free to use their currencies independent of other influences in a way that ensures cooperation among states as equals. Whether it is a return to the gold standard or Bitcoin, the world recognizes that economic changes are needed. It's time the corrupt element among the African leadership recognized the death of gold would, would only prolong the economic devastation of its people, but also the negation of Africa's rightful place in the world, world stage. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Brother Haki. Next we're going to go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Okay. Okay. Um, there are two two anniversaries of significance that took place this weekend. Uh, yesterday marked the 63rd anniversary of the of the triumph of the Cuban Revolution, uh, which took place January 1st, 1959. And also, um, uh, this uh, uh, yesterday marked the anniversary of, uh, of Haiti's independence uh, from France, which took place January 1st, 1804. And this is significant because this was the most 
a successful slave rebellion uh, against chattel slavery uh, in the Western Hemisphere. And it also marked, and uh, Haiti was the uh, first country in the world to abolish chattel slavery upon obtaining its independence. So uh, so people need to keep both of these anniversaries in mind. Thank you. Victory to the brothers and sisters in Haiti and Cuba. May the struggle continue. Next, we make our transition to Brother Moses. What's going on in your world in the community, Brother Moses? Well, this is... Um, um, the, um, uh, been a devastating year in terms of uh, progressive people uh, leadership. Um, I think you know we have to recognize that during this year, nineteen uh, uh, twenty twenty one, during this the year of twenty twenty one, we lost um, uh, some significant fighters. Uh, um, I think uh, uh, Ramsey Clark was one, Bishop Tutu was another, and just recently Chuck Kaufman of the Alliance for Global Justice was a, a third. Uh, I think there's very, very, very significant deaths uh, which which have an impact on the movement because they're irreplaceable ultimately, and, but, uh, but we must carry on. Um, I think, you know, I recognize it recognizing they they had a impact directly on my personal uh development uh, as a revolutionary and uh I like to acknowledge them as as uh fallen comrades in the struggle. Thank you. And Brother Moses we'd like to add Acadonis as well to our brother Chuck Kaufman in the last of Global Justice. They have played a significant part in terms of being supporters and participants of this institution, Africa on the Moon. So to the family, um, we send our condolences. So at this point in time, we listen to Africa on the Moon, uh, Brother Africa. We're in the seat. We take the heat every time we stand behind it. What we're going to do is we go to a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to continue to discuss what's going on in your world and the community. This is Africa on the Moon. Africa brought to 
If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs her freedom. Palestine. Palestine, needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Chains, living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by the news, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia.
a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino! You can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino is the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. Know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 we back. This is Africa on the Moon. We have a couple of announcements we'd like to make. The first announcement, we would like to remind you, if you have not, maybe a good New Year present. If you have not, we would like to share with you that Pan-African Roots has recently published a two-volume book, Volume 1 and Volume 2, titled We Demand the Full Disclosure and the Digitization of All Slavery Era Records. You can get this book and find more information about the book. The author is Bob Brown by going to this website, www.a-aprp.cc. That's right. If you don't know what they did to you in the past, this is a good book to get it. It will tell you that and more. So make sure you visit that website and purchase your book and give it to someone for a good gift, New Year gift. So please, again, the website is www.a-aprp.cc.org. 
Also, we'd like to remind those who have not yet, but don't forget that African Women's Association will be organizing an annual Freedom Ride Tour to Cuba from July 23rd to July 31st, 2022. Uh, for those interested going to see Cuba for the first time, hey, make sure you go to their website and check out the information on how you can come on board by going to www.aaa-cubatours.com. So we must move now because the season's filling up. Let's go and show our support and solidarity with our brothers and sisters Cuba for all they have done and continue to do for Africa and African people, all of humanity. Come on, boys. Also, we'd like to remind you that on the 7th of January, there will be the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. They're celebrating the 63rd anniversary of the Cuban Revolution on Friday, January the 7th, 2022, from 7 to 9 p.m. at Stephen's Church, at St. Stephen Church Auditorium. The address is 1525 Newton Street, Northwest Washington, D.C. So if you're free that day, come on out on Friday night and check out their program. They also have the Malcolm X Drummers and Dancers and Black Workers Center Choir. So come on out and listen to speakers who will be directed from Cuba to tell you the real realities of Cuba and how we can be in solidarity with them. So come on out. Again, that's on Friday, January the 7th, from 7 to 9 p.m. at St. Stephen Church Auditorium, 1525 Newton Street, Northwest D.C. So those are our announcements for right now. And then we're going to return back to our panelists. And we want to just say that if you want to join us, please call in at 323-679-0841. While waiting to try to reconnect back with my panelists, I have some problems on my board. So bear with us. We can try to see if we can work this thing out. We're going to work this thing out some kind of way. I know we're going to do that. So just bear with us. Bear with us. Things happen, and um, we just have to roll with the punches. You know how we do. You know how we do. We are creative people, and can't nothing stop us. Because we can always go forward ever and backwards never. So just hold on. Hopefully we'll be able to get back on our board, and we'll get back on our board. And right now we're going to make our transition to our theme tonight. Our reflections on the year 2020-21 and the past. That's right. We want you to join us by calling 323-679-0841. We'll start off with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, if you look back in the year 2021 in terms of your reflections in the past, what are just some of the things you would like to uh, reflect on as relates to what took place this past year? Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Uh, thank you. Uh, certainly, uh, I would like to reflect on the on on the the fact that imperialism is trying to intensify its control over Africa and African people, and uh, that is the most significant thing that that has uh, uh, occurred uh, this year. Uh, this past year, and also with, uh, you know, humanity is still dealing with COVID-19 pandemic, uh, which is a fact, uh, uh, 
people worldwide. And uh, with new variants developing during the course of this year, it seems to be worsening in some ways. And also, uh, there seems to be uh, there seems to be a disparity quality there. Rich people versus poor people received, and that is having a devastating effect upon the world's uh, population. And uh, so we. Uh, 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 let's see, certain, uh, you know, certain of our progressive and revolutionary leaders made their transitions this year, including uh, Malefe Aitmafole, uh, who was a staunch organizer for the Pan-Africanist Congress of Azania, and also uh, a very uh, avid supporter uh, an advocate for Pan-Africanism. And uh, we, uh, uh, let's see, uh, lost uh, Chuck Kaufman. Uh, he made his transition uh, during this past year. And, um, you know, he was a significant advocate uh, for progressive and revolutionary re- uh, reform, particularly in the, in the Western Hemisphere. And uh, his work will be greatly missed as well. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we make a transition to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, what are some of your reflections for the past year, 2021, and the past? Well, I think, Brother Africa, um, uh, chief among my concerns is the kind of um, lenient treatment uh, the so-called January 6th insurrectionists have been receiving. I think the implications are very, very clear. Uh, in terms of the uh, powers that be desired to treat these individuals, you know, very, 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 very lightly in terms of sentencing, uh, a sense of precedent. And I'm very concerned that when you talk about the overall decline of uh, society, and you talk about the amount of hurt and anger that exists in society, one of the things that, uh, you know, uh, a system cannot afford to do if it's going to maintain any type of longevity is to afford, you know, lenient treatment to those who threaten that system. Uh, now, if if people now people have a genuine right in terms of fighting for what's in their best what's in their best interest, people have a legitimate right in terms of fighting for freedom and justice. Those are legitimate concerns, and people definitely should fight for those things. Of course, we understand in the context of fighting for those things, often the people who stand up and fight for those things uh, are not only demonized, but they are they're they're, they're penalized heavily. So as a, as a result. If you engage in, say, a Black Lives Matter or Antifa rally, uh, you're much more apt to get a much heavier sentence in terms of potential participation in those kind of rallies. But here we have a situation in January, January, um, uh, January 6th in which people were not uh, protesting any kind of inequality, any injustice, anything like that. The opposition was that they have, they, in their minds, they have a legitimate right to have leadership of their, of their, of their, of their desire to be, to be in power. That's, that's the difference in terms of one's fighting for justice, equality, those kind of things that make people hold. So clearly, you know, when, when you think about this, this, this explicit threat, you know, being directed against, against the state and the state's resolve or the state's lack of resolve in terms of adequately dealing with that threat, you can only conclude that the state is, in fact, 
either in cahoots with those individuals who carried out the January 6th insurrection or they condone it. Either way, it means that they're setting a precedent which says that, you know, as long as you do engage in those right-wing kinds of movements or those kind of right-wing rallies, then certainly uh, not only is it justifiable, but it's also on some level respectable. To me, that's very, very scary, a very, very scary thing. I think people have to begin to understand, you know, when we talk about strategy and tactics in the society, we have to begin to understand, you know, that everything the government did, everything you read, everything you view on television, all that stuff has a specific purpose. And one of the things they want to do is create this 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 this, 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 this scenario which suggests that the problem people are confronted with in society has everything more to do with the people themselves and not a system in place. And so to the extent that people follow, swallow that nonsense about the way people behave is based upon an individual individual uh, uh, perception of self, the more we swallow that nonsense, the more we allow off, we let off the hook those institutions, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, particularly the media, um, Congress, and so forth and so on, those institutions that perpetrate policies and, and, and ideas which are were counterintuitive in terms of a more just and harmonious society. So we've got to begin to understand, you know, uh, that this conditioning that they're imposing upon the masses of people does have very harmful ramifications for all of society. And I think as, as an oppressed people, I think particularly as an African person, I think I have to understand. So when I look at the media and they and they and they're, and they're praising, um, you know, right wing groups, and when they give them all this visibility, all this exposure, when I think about Twitter and these other uh, plat- social platforms, who allow these kind of spurious kinds of individuals to espouse you know very racist, very fascist kinds of views and don't get cancelled, then I I start wondering, you know, so so what is the broader implication in terms of allowing them to do such a thing? So it becomes clear to me that. These, these institutions work hand-in-hand hand with, with the government in terms of ensuring uh, the, the wholesale spread of fascism and, and authoritarianism in the society. So I think as a person of color, we've got to be very, very concerned about that. I think even as a person of, of, a person of conscious, irrespective of your skin color, you've got to be definitively concerned about what's happening, what's happening in this society, particularly with respect to the level uh, or the intensity of uh, propaganda that's being perpetuated uh, by but people in positions of power, and so for me, brother Africa, that's been the the, the my, I want a big concern of mine, and I certainly hope that people begin to when they, when they view news, when they read the papers, uh, you know, uh, understand that the stuff that's being communicated to them is has is has very deep roots, and so we shouldn't simply dismiss it as entertainment or or, or dismiss it as you know, uh, you know, uh, merely you know dissemination of information. And being to understand the much deeper roots in terms of the information that's being disseminated. Often, this information has nothing to do in terms of what's in the best interest of society. It often has interest what's in the best interest of wealthy people. In that context, we've got to begin to understand, you know, this, 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 the implications of this propaganda. We have to have these institutions. We have to use these uh, institutions, you know, in the community to educate people in terms of how this, how this, how this situation is unfolding in society. And begin to understand that you know without organization, uh, uh, there's no way conceivable to fight back against such a um, such a diabolical adversary. And I close with that, brother Africa. Thank you, brother Haki. Brother Moses, talk to us. Give us your reflections for this past year. Yeah, this has been a very interesting year. Um, as I stated earlier, um, we lost some some freedom fighters. Uh, uh, 
I'd like to say a little something about uh, um, Ramsey Clark. He was, when I first heard of him, uh, he was the attorney general under the Kennedy administration. And um, and uh, he went on to uh, to move further to the left, uh, and uh, he actually defended Saddam Hussein when during the trial of when the U.S. imperialism decided they would overthrow the government of Iraq. Uh, he was there on the front lines. He he, he was part of the. International Action Center, uh, um, groups like Answer Coalition, and uh, he he was very influential in uh, in directing the, the the direction and and uh, of the movement, and uh, he will be missed. Bishop Tutu, uh, needless to say, uh, the many accomplishments that most people would know about with him. Uh, uh, the truth from reconciliation in South Africa, et cetera. He's, he was staunch in uh, uh, advocate of anti-apartheid and, and uh, stood up and, and spoke truth to power in terms of the Israeli government as being an apartheid government, et cetera. Meanwhile, Chuck Kaufman uh, uh, with the Alliance for Global Justice, uh, he was was the the Alliance for Global Justice was uh, almost the accountant accounting for the movement uh, basically for the left wing movement uh, not everybody but for a great majority of the movement he gave fiscal sponsorship allowed them to have tax deductible contributions which was a great asset and uh, he will be missed. Uh, he, he occupied Wall Street. I remember um, uh, it was a great uh, accomplishment. Uh, um, the movement deepened and uh, and deepened our consciousness of the one percent. And uh, and uh, that was a, a great a great movement that uh, that was part of American history. And uh, he, he, like I said, the Alliance for Global Justice was uh, like the accountant for the movement, and uh, and he will be missed. Um, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And going to Sister Eleanor, can you share with us your reflections on this past year, 2021? Uh, thank you so much, Brother Africa. I think uh, this year has been a, uh, we saw, that I want to give my condolences to Chuck Kaufman's family and the community. As uh, everyone stated, uh, Kaufman, Chuck was the, um, was a physical specialist. Uh, he assisted organizations in raising resources and provided a form for uh, the receipt of contributions through the 501c3 form. But this year we saw uh, an atrocity 
in Israel, occupied Palestine, the deaths, the bombings, and the annihilation. We've seen the pandemic ravage the peoples of the world. We've seen the impact that it's had in the United States on the elderly, the disabled, living in their homes and assisted living in nursing home facilities. They, there was such a large loss of life. So going forward in the year 2022, we have to stand in solidarity with the, those that are isolated and vulnerable and offer them protection by creating a view for the world to recognize these people. And uh, we lost, as Brother Robert said, uh, Shopkin, Desmond Tutu, and it's just been a uh, dismal uh, week. But uh, with the last day of Kwanzaa being Imani yesterday, we just have to have faith in ourselves and each other and our ability to mobilize. And there will come a day when millions of people recognize their responsibility to themselves and the world as workers to organize for their basic human rights in the United States and around the world. So it's been a dismal uh, 2021 and 2020, but hopefully uh, uh, Moderna and Pfizer will make the proprietary information uh, and allow pharmaceuticals throughout the world to produce their own vaccines and stop using this as just a profit gain for big pharma. The, the citizens of the United States paid for the development of the vaccine. Uh, doctors in the United States working for the government assisted in the development of the vaccine, and we demand that it be made uh, available. And we demand that the blockade against Cuba uh, end this year. This is the 63rd anniversary of the Cuban Revolution, and we see what happens when workers unite. And we hope that the medical resources that Cuba needs are made available. We see that sanctions harm the people. So no people-loving, freedom-loving nation should participate in sanctions that hold back metals, coal supplies, and resources that people need to live. Thank you so much, Brother Africa, for having me on this forum this evening. And uh, Happy New Year's and happy birthday to you, Brother Anthony. It's your anniversary of your birth. Blessings be with you. Thank you. Thank you, as always, Sister Eleanor. Hey, to the panelists, I would like to get your reflection and response to for the year 2021. And we don't necessarily have to limit it 
just within the confines of the United States, but just in general. Will you speak to and give us the assessment? What grade would you give the so-called African leadership here and abroad as it relates to representing and fighting for the interests and needs of the masses for our people? I start off with you, Brother Anthony. I would uh, I would give uh, overall I would give the political leadership a, a, an F uh, because I think uh, the current political leadership at home and in the diaspora has failed the masses of African people. For the most part, they have not acted in the interest of the African masses. Uh, they've only acted in the interests of the uh, African uh, bourgeoisie and petty bourgeoisie, which represents a small sector of our people, not even the you know the working masses of our people. And as a result, the conditions of the masses of our people have gotten worse during the course of the year. Uh, in, uh, especially at home in Africa, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and that should uh, that should be our base of power, but but because of our continued disunification uh, and disorganization, um, you know our plight gets worse, and that's why you have so many people immigrating to the capitalist countries in search of a better way of life. And, uh, and it's not so, uh, and it's not so much that they hate their homeland. It's just that in a lot of cases, their home, that their, their, their homelands have become uh, economically unviable for them. And uh, and uh, that's so, so. I would uh, I would definitely not give. I would give the the leadership uh, a failing grade for not striving harder for political unification. And that is the only unification that will guarantee uh, that will ensure the economic power that we need in order to overcome our oppression. Thank you, Brother Brother Haki, talk to me. Well, first, let me just uh, wish Brother uh, brother Anthony uh, a happy birthday and many, many more. Uh, we appreciate his presence on Africa on the Move. He's a stabilizing influence, and uh, we really appreciate that, me in particular. Now, you know, Brother Africa, in terms of my grade for African leadership, I'm a little bit more generous than Brother Anthony. I would, uh, I give him a D. In the context of America, I, I give him a D simply because, you know, uh, there is at least an attempt to bring forth issues that are pertinent to the masses of the people. Unfortunately, we have a system in place, a political structure in place, in which many of these ideas, particularly the more progressive ideas, are uh, 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 made difficult uh, in terms of passage. And so, therefore, uh, those ideas may be proposed, but the idea in terms of actually getting through the um, body politic becomes very, very problematic because definitely becomes, actually it becomes almost impossible. So when I look at, the, you know, particularly when I look at groups like the progressive element of the Democratic Party and look at the kind of things that they're trying to achieve, 
all the things they can achieve are being the best interest of humanity generally. It be certainly being the best interest of U.S. citizens. Uh, but the bottom line is that you have a very conservative leadership among the Democratic Party who has no interest in terms of forming any type of policies which goes against against the grain. In particular, those policies that 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 uh, threaten uh, a a situation where uh, there's a um, uh, uh, reimagining of. Uh, of, of resources in the society. To that extent, uh, the democratic traditional leadership is very much lockstop with uh, the capitalist class in terms of making sure that what, 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 whatever uh, advantages exist will be accrued to, simply to, 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 to the capitalist class. And so clearly, you know, I can't blame the, uh, those, uh, those progressive brothers and sisters in the Democratic Party who are pushing for progressive policies, but understanding that because they are locked in the system, which makes it damn near impossible in terms of elevating those progressive kind of issues, uh, we, we, we cannot, uh, we, we cannot dismiss, at least dismiss their attempt in terms of addressing those issues. On a broader scale, Brother Africa, when you talk about global, you talk about African leadership, I think one of the things that um, there is a real hesitancy among African leadership to deal with structural issues that exist. I'm often frustrated by the fact that, you know, so many African leaders pretend as though these structural abnormalities um, Abnormalities don't exist. So when we talk about instances. We talk about when we talk about financing, you know, a business or business opportunities, you know, on the continent. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, there's no way to get around it. The kind of kind of real disparities in terms of, you know, you know, the 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 kind of benefits that accrue the West when it comes to borrowing money versus the, when it comes to Africa borrowing money. Uh, keep in mind when we talk about borrowing money, you know, as opposed to to Africa, when we talk about Western states. When you talk about money, when you talk about borrowing money, it's, it's not an issue. When it comes to Africa, when you talk about borrowing money, it comes to strings attached. And often you have a situation where, in terms of you know trying to get things done, if it doesn't fit within the, within the context of what the West desires, then those credits are not forthcoming. So therefore, they, they exert enormous amount of control in terms of the economy of Africa. And I'm always hard pressed to understand. Like, listen, this is 21st century. How long are you going to continue to play this, this this game of the West? How long are you committed to doing that? And the mere fact, and when you talk about when you talk about Africa, Pan Africanism, I mean the fact that last time they even discussed Pan Africanism among the African Union was back in 2012. It means that there's a serious lack of um, alternative thinking that exists on the continent. There's no question that the Western nations do a very good job in terms of eliminating those more progressive, more revolutionary minds on the continent and elevating the more vile, the more or the more reactionary elements of African of the African leadership. Uh, and to, to some extent, we can agree that uh, they have been very successful in terms of doing that. But despite that, you know, uh, we we call upon the African masses, you know, to do the impossible, because you know uh, this kind of corruption that is so so widespread in terms of the continent. It has to be addressed. There's no future for Africa if these vile individuals continue to perpetuate policies which are not in the interest of Africa. And so when we, so when we talk about the structural, uh, structural dimensions, you know, of the problems confronted with Africa, uh, not only do those structural dimensions exist in terms of the economic realm, but also in terms of the political realm. I mean, how is it that African states, uh, you know, uh, by virtue, you know, uh, of their numbers, don't have any real power when it comes to IMF, IMF or the World Bank. Why is that? Um, it, 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 it doesn't make any sense to me. When you talk about the United Nations, why is it that Africa's not African? Not one African state is a permanent head of the of the of the uh, 
of the council uh, of the permanent council that deals with your global affairs that exist throughout the world. Why is it those countries that are those seven countries who are part of that that that, that structure, or why is there not one African state uh, who's part of that structure? That for me that doesn't make any sense at all. Particularly when you start talking about just in terms of population, and also when you look at in terms of the kind of resources that the Africa provides to the world, uh, then certainly you know uh, one would think uh, that that alone would be significant enough in, ter- in terms of making sure. That, you know, Africa will see some visibility when it comes to these kind of committees that exist with respect to the UN. But nonetheless, uh, it's, it's not happening. So on a political level, you know, so we talk about these structural problems. So at some point, African leaders have to begin to understand that the structural level exists. And so for, for me, what is – and also, and I conclude with this, but what is problematic also is that, you know, African leaders can talk to the West, but they can't talk to each other. I don't understand that one at all. I, I mean, you, you know, I don't understand that one at all. While you, while African leaders are busy making deals in terms of the West, uh, they do so at the expense, you know, of, of the broader, econ- uh, of the broader, the broader continent. So you have to have that kind of organization among African African leaders in terms of who, 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 who see the problems and go and, 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 and attack those problems head on. That's the only way you can do it. Uh, you can't pretend like everything is fine, and you know, if you just continue to play ball, everything's going to be all right. Uh, we've been doing that, and, and the result has been the devastation of the, con- of, the, of, the, of the continent and its people. So that paradigm has to change, but we have to have that progressive leadership. In that context, I would give the African leadership an F in terms of unwillingness to confront these, these structural barriers that are confronting Africa, you know, unwillingness in terms of creating that pan-Africanism, which is really the only solution in terms of being able to effectively rebuff the power of the West, because the West is organized. They work, they, work, they work together in terms of the rape of Africa. So the only way Africa can resist is massive organization, pan-Africanism in terms, as a unit in terms of rebuffing you know, attempts by the West to, uh, to, to export Africa. So for African leaders, I have to give them an F, and I'll close with that, Brother Africa. You know, Brother Haki, I'd like you to respond to this, you and Anthony. Uh, listen to your last point. Um, you, you seem to make me think about the role of the AU and their inability to uh, not to be able to deal with their, their their internal problems from one African brothers to another. So how do you or how would you uh, grade the behavior and the function of the, of the, of the AU this past year, African Union? Brother Africa, if the African Union was autonomous, if they were independent, if they strive for self-determination, you know, I would be very, very happy. But the reality is that this is this this is this is a neocolonial body. Uh, these guys essentially are there to, to to give cover, you know, for Western exploitation of Africa. These guys are not there. They're not revolutionaries. They're not there to fight in terms of the uh, in terms of the interests of Africa. They're there to protect the interests of the West. In that context, you know, we, we have to look at in terms of the much the, the, the specific societies, you know, that condone and uh, elevate, you know, these individuals to, to positions of power. Because uh, keep in mind that if you had a situation where, where people were adamantly opposed to, to Western exploitation of Africa, then certainly you wouldn't want to elevate people who are um, inclined, you know, uh, inclined to be puppets for the West. So the mere fact that these people get elevated and move to positions of power speaks to the kind of complicity 
the kind of desire to see these people in positions of power to actually create policy which is in favor of the of the West against the interests of Africa. So, the, so brother Africa, I think in terms of the African Union, you know, uh, clearly, you know, uh, I would give them a, 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 a FFF if such thing was possible. Uh, but clearly, they're, 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 it's, it's not a body that's in the interest of Africa. It's a body in the interest of, you know, uh, Western exploitation of Africa. And as such, you can't get any real policies coming out of that, out of, out of that body simply because the West has done a tremendous job in terms of making damn sure, in, condition, in conjunction with corrupt African leadership, making sure that the most vile individuals come positions of power, you know, in the African Union who are incapable of articulating the interests of Africa out of, either out of fear or, out of, or because they're so damn greedy. Understanding that if they understand that if they play that game in terms of the West, then there's a possibility in terms of being compensated financially. And so they're willing to play that game at the expense of Africa. So, Brother Africa, I would give them an FFF. Hey, Brother Anthony, you agree? Yes, I would give the African Union an F uh, because as it is constituted, uh, they uh the the political leadership is uh neocolonialist in nature and uh they exist to do the bidding of imperialism and therefore they perpetuate the exploitation of the masses of African people. And that's very sad because um uh a, a lot of people sacrificed uh, for Africa to get its sham independence and uh, to have it betrayed uh, by this uh, current generation of neocolonialists is very saddening. But uh, it, uh, it is an indication of a point that Kwame Ture made years ago that Pan-Africanism has to be built from the bottom up. It can't be built from the top down because the leadership is too corrupt and egotistical for it to be done that way. Brother Moses, talk to me, Brother Moses. Give me your assessment of the African leadership this past year. How would you grade them? Well, that's a good question, Brother Africa. Um, I think, you know, my consciousness of, of of the continent of Africa is not as great as Brother Aki and uh, Brother Anthony um, in in terms of uh, the political movements in within the internal contradictions. Uh, I, I, if not in Africa, I, I would like to focus in the United States. The African leadership win the United States. You know, so-called yeah. African politicians. How would you grade them? Yeah, well, it definitely, it's been. Uh, I would say, I won't. I don't. It's hard to say if uh, um, a D, because I think you know there is there has been some good movement. Uh, uh, some some consciousness has been raised, uh, uh, but you know the leadership. The leadership is is, is is not revolutionary. At least it's it's not for, not not voicing revolutionary demands, and uh, and so you can't. You, it's hard to give them more, more than a D. 
when I think about you know the 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 it's been within the context of the Democratic Party more or less uh uh and uh and you know I think about uh Al Sharpton uh uh um seems you know that um he's 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 been trying to uh, raise consciousness about about black oppression uh, with the various killings and the and the funerals and and uh, and that's all been good and well said and done. Uh, but uh, but we need somehow to organize uh, a revolutionary base uh, that's that's calling for qualitative change and and that that, that I don't see happening. Uh, and so I would I, I, I would hesitate to get, go beyond a D. Uh, um, this is we we've got to get more organized uh, uh, and uh, and uh, hopefully hopefully we will. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. I know your take on how you assess and grade the job of the African leadership inside and outside the U.S. What would be your response for this past year? Um, it's it's been a, a happy New Year, Brother Africa, and everyone with that, my voice. It's been a difficult year for Mother Africa and the diaspora with this virus and the difficulty in distributing the vaccine. Uh, it's uh, caused uh, the mortality of so many African people uh, in Brazil, in the United States, on the continent. But in terms of the leadership for the Africa, you know, the leadership uh, has a responsibility uh, to move Africa forward, and uh, we see that the uh, uh, the um, uh, the act that we call it the uh, um, Opportunity uh, Growth Act, the African Opportunity Growth Act, signed by Bill Clinton in the year two thousand. We see a lot of uh, mo- utilization of that program, Brother Africa, but we fail to see any progressive development of business, worker-owned business, worker-owned management uh, businesses, worker-owned businesses. Instead, we see people taking a neo-colonialist position and uh, taking workers from the farm to the city, but not qualitatively, qualitatively changing their life. We see uh, there were some errors in inviting Israel into the AU as an honorary uh, member while we ignored Haiti, Brazil, and other Afrocentric nations in the world. There's something wrong with that. And we see right now the AU is essential because those votes will affect 
what happens in occupied Palestine and other nations around the world. So I would suggest that the AU organize itself and vote collectively, individually. They can be picked off economically. And I think the development uh, that we see uh, on, my, on, on the continent in some ways uh, has been helpful in terms of uh, uh, bringing Wi-Fi into Kenya and the Horn of Africa in terms of water improvement in West Africa. But we have a long ways to go. And as the other panelists said, um, there's been a neo-colonialist approach. And I would say I'd give them a C minus uh, in that they're maintaining control right now. They haven't uh, lost like Djibouti, but many nations are still holding solid. But uh, something needs to be done. A C minus is basically a D. So thank you, Brother Africa. I, I I agree with the other panelists on the underdevelopment of Africa. And right now what's so important is that the pharmaceuticals on the continent and throughout the world that can produce the vaccine be allowed to to move forward and to vaccinate their people and to assist Cuba with the syringes and the supplies that Cuba needs. So it's, it's, Cuba's doing great. Venezuela, we saw great things. We saw great things in Honduras. We saw great things in Nicaragua. But we see fascism on the move with Ohari and Nigeria. So we know there's a time uh, for change. And this African Opportunity Growth Act of 2000 should give folks an opportunity, since there are no tariffs on their imports to the United States, to really develop worker-owned corporations and become an example for the world, such as Cuba and Venezuela and uh, Nicaragua is today. Thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And panelists, what I want y'all to do is uh, I want y'all to focus on, we're going to play this clipping that relates to that theme tonight, our reflections on the year 2021 and the past. Uh, this is like a historical piece. A lot of times we have no sense of how things came to be and who owns what. So I want you to listen to this clipping, which comes off of, off of the YouTube um, platform, and the title is Selling Your Country for Cash. And when we come back, I'd like to have your response to this. Hello and welcome. I'm Palki Sharma Upadhyay. This is Gravitas Plus. The date is 18th of October 2020. 153 years ago, on this very day, Alaska was transferred to the United States. It was earlier a part of Russia. The United States bought Alaska for $7.2 million only. And this wasn't a one-off deal in recent history. I come to you tonight with details of several such interesting buys. All of them seem unimaginable in today's context. Did you know Mumbai, or erstwhile Bombay, was once given away in dowry? It happened in 1661. Read this article. Singapore was sold for 5,000 Spanish dollars. 
China had leased Hong Kong to Britain for 99 years. The states of California, Nevada, Arizona and Utah never belonged to America. Spain sold the Philippines to America for $20 million. Can you imagine deals like these being struck today? Can you imagine your country being sold to another country or a part of your country being traded for money or gold? The very idea can trigger a political hurricane. And yet there are countries that give away land without a fight. India is said to have ceded 38,000 square kilometers of land to China in the last 70 years. And if any gains were made, they have not been reported. But let's skip to what happened to Alaska. It was sold to the United States for $7.2 million. The amount is equivalent to approximately $125 million today. That's how much a Vincent Van Gogh painting costs. I'm referring to the portrait of the artist without a beard. An Airbus A320 Neo costs around $111 million. That's approximately the price tag for 28 commercial wind turbines. $125 million is what Dwayne Johnson, Vin Diesel and Adam Sandler's combined annual income is. And the U.S. bought 370 million acres of foreign territory with that money. That's two cents an acre. Alaska is twice the size of Sweden. It has nearly two-thirds of all the national park lands of the U.S. Alaska's shoreline is longer than the entire Atlantic coast. It spans two time zones. It has 3,000 rivers, 3 million lakes, 100,000 glaciers, more than 100 volcanoes. Alaska is one of the richest states of the United States. It is the largest by area and also the second largest producer of crude oil in the U.S. Alaska produces an average of 670,555 barrels of crude oil a day. It is rich in copper, gold, timber, zinc, lead, fish, fur. Alaska is so rich that it does not have sales or income tax. Instead, Alaska gives every resident an annual stipend. That rich. Did Russia know about Alaska's potential? And why did Russia sell Alaska at all? The answer to the first question is no. Russia did know that Alaska was resourceful, but not this resourceful. And this is the man who ceded Alaska, Tsar Alexander II. To understand why he sold Alaska, we must look at some history. The Russians colonized Alaska in 1784. Maintaining a territory so far from the mainland was not easy. Communication was a problem, so was transportation. Around the 1800s, Russia began questioning the profitability of this colony. Britain, too, was eyeing Alaska. Russia was bankrupt after its war with Crimea. Defending Alaska or even maintaining it became a problem. So starting the 1850s, Russia began trying to dispose of Alaska. It offered the land to the United States on many occasions, but the U.S. did not have the time for that discussion. Talks were further postponed when the American Civil War broke out in 1861, but Russia was in debt. It needed money, so it decided to sell Alaska for just $7.2 million. The Treaty of Session was signed on the 30th of March, 1867. The signatories were these. Then U.S. Secretary of State William H. Seward and Russian envoy Baron Edward the Stokul. The Alaska Treaty, 1867, marked the end of Russia's expansion to North America. For America, it meant opportunity, one that it had no clue about. For the longest time, Alaska was called Seward's Folly. The popular thought in America was that the land was good for nothing and it had nothing to offer. Then gold was discovered in the 1890s, oil in 1968, and the rest, as they say, is history. 
Is this the only such land sale to another country? Far from it. You may have heard of Gwadar, the port that is practically owned by China now. It is on Pakistani land, but it did not always belong to Pakistan. It was an overseas territory of Muscat and Oman. Pakistan bought it for $3 million. This was back in 1958. Muscat needed money and Pakistan had its eyes on the strategic location of Gwadar. Today, the city houses a deep water port controlled by China. Little did Pakistan know that its Gwadar deal will go on to profit the Chinese. Another set of islands China is eyeing is controlled by Japan, the Senkaku Islands. They are claimed by three countries, China, Taiwan and Japan. Tokyo bought the Senkaku Islands in 2012. It paid 2.1 billion yen to one family, the Kuriharas. Today, that will be around $23.6 million. The deal was a game-changer in the East China Sea. The Senkaku Islands sit in key shipping lanes. They also lie close to gas deposits. Here's another set of islands that's past hands, the Virgin Islands. They were once called the Danish West Indies. As you may have guessed, Denmark owned them. The U.S. wanted these islands as a national security asset. Lucky for Washington, the islands were turning out to be too expensive for Denmark to maintain. So the islands of St. Thomas, St. John and St. Qua were sold to the U.S. The year was 1917 and the transfer amount was 25 million in gold. 29 years later, the U.S. made another offer to Denmark. It offered $100 million for Greenland. The Danish government said no. Greenland became an autonomous region in 1979, but its unwillingness to be owned by the U.S. remained unchanged. In 2019, when the U.S. President Donald Trump expressed his wish to buy this land, he was told it's not for sale. For Trump, Greenland would have been the real estate deal of the century. But the real deal of the century was struck somewhere in the Pacific by former president of Kiribati, Anote Tong. He bought land from another country to save his people in case his country submerges because of climate change. This was in 2014. Kiribati paid $8.77 million to Fiji. This was in exchange for 20 square kilometers of land on Vanua Levu. And it goes down in history as perhaps the only such deal driven by need and not greed. Gravitas Plus, co-presented by Skoda. Simply clever. Okay, this is Africa on the Moon. We're discussing our reflections of the year 2021 and the past. You were just listening to a um, documentary titled Selling Your Country for Cash. You know, many times we look at our reality today, we often wonder how things came to be. So, panelists, when you listen to that particular tip, and, and we're talking about how very forms of ownership and selling off of land and resources of that nature, how people have viewed land in terms of, one, an individual to a country, an individual to a nation, a nation to a people. What are some of the things that um, came to your mind in terms of issues that this particular tipping uh, should um, piece some warnings to in terms of future generations looking at this question of land ownership and this question of property rights. Uh, Brother Haki, your response. Well, Brother Africa, I think the, the essence, you know, uh, buying country has it's changed, but it's still among us. 
Now that you have a situation where, you know, uh, you have states, you know, selling large plots of land, even selling their water tables, uh, uh, you know, for personal gain. And so I think, so, so this propensity in terms of, you know, uh, of, of, of uh, you know, of selling for the, pers- for the sake of personal gain is something that, that is ongoing. Uh, it comes down to a class question in terms of, you know, people's willingness, you know, to, to, to subjugate their own interests, you know, for material gain. Um, often mind the fact that when you start talking about fresh water, in particular, uh, there is a great resistance in terms of desalinization of water in the United States. Uh, you can simply spend billions of dollars in terms of desalinating, you know, salt water to make it potable water, to make it possible for people to drink. But because of the cost, um, capitalists believe think that, uh, you know, doing this is prohibitive, and so they don't do it. They'd much rather go around the world and buy, in particular places like Africa, and, and buy, you know, fresh water sources. And what is ironic is that you have people who actually sell fresh water, something that's so intimate uh, to human survival, you know, that people actually have the audacity to actually sell it, you know, for material gain. So I think this willingness in terms of, of selling is just something that's unfortunately is just is, is part of the, the class dynamic in terms of human relationships. Uh, you know, until people begin to understand, you know, that it's okay uh, to uh, 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 to sell resources, but if the resources just benefits a narrow sector, you know, of society, or a particular individual, then I think that kind of those kind of sales should be rejected. But 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 again, of course, brother, as I said, it's for brother Africa. It's all about you know, it's all about class, and I think that's that's one of the question in which people have to, in earnest, you know, deal with more more seriously in terms of the implications of class and all that it means. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your response to this taping. Okay. A couple of things, a couple of observations about some of the uh, land deals that were alluded to in this documentary. In particular, Alaska, uh, what were called the Danish Virgin Islands, and uh, the states of uh, Utah, California, and Nevada, I believe she said. Uh, the common thread that those, the, all of those lands belong to the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere. They were not for the capitalist powers to sell to each other. If if this is a just world we're talking about, the, the, you know that we live in, which it isn't, and uh, those were those were uh, those were uh, deals that benefited uh, capitalist countries, primarily the U.S. Uh, because um, uh, Russia did not know the value. Uh, of the uh, uh, of the colony it had in Alaska, and uh, turned out to be greater than than what it sold it for. But uh, the thread that runs through these is that these are exchanges involving capitalist countries uh, making uh, m- making deals over land that uh, that's not theirs in the first place. And uh, in terms of uh, China and, uh, uh, you know, the other countries in Asia, 
you know, uh, is a very frequent occurrence uh, for countries to exchange land for resources. And um, and uh, the only uh, the only virtue behind that is that it might be less costly than warfare. But uh, you know the thing that struck me was that uh, that particularly the lands in the Western Hemisphere. I think people overlook the fact that these lands belong to the indigenous people, the so-called American Indians. And uh, and uh, they ultimately have a right to this land. Okay, thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Moses, we can come to you. Your take on that documentary. Yeah, we find the capitalist powers are, are colluding and contending for spheres of influence. And um, certainly, you know, in imperialism, the the world is divided up. Um, there is no place on earth where you can go where you're not on somebody's property. And so, you know, there's a scramble for for um, expansion, um, which takes place usually by war. But um, like Brother Anthony said, you know, at least it is somewhat um, different in that, you know, money was exchanged instead of warfare. Um but, you know, these capitalist powers, you know, like they said, it's indigenous people's land, and um, and these colonizers have have, um, have come on to the, the scene and uh, directed the resources and, um, of the land and, um, and exploited it and then sold, sold what, they, what they weren't aware of uh, um, um, because they, they thought, you know, they had, Stripped the, uh, the land of its resources, and, uh, and that you know they could now let it go. But um, um, Alaska was a hell of a hell of a deal, uh, and uh, uh, the I think it was the Czar of Russia who sold that land, uh, and certain uh, of these imperialist powers. Um, um, don't don't have the foresight to see to see um, down the road they're looking for immediate gains and uh, and uh, the indigenous people are the ones who lose out on when all the when all is said and done uh, the powers of the be are uh, enrich themselves and enable them to 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 rule and continue their rule through. To um, economic power, and um, and um, this is a, a problem. And uh, you know, we we have to raise the consciousness of the people and to make them aware of, of what's going on. And this is a good good uh, exposure. It's a good exposure. Thank you. Thank you, Moses. And your thoughts, Sister Eleanor. Well, um. Brother Africa, we've seen, the, as uh, the speakers have said, the annexation of in the Western Hemisphere of indigenous people's lands, and we've seen the homesteading programs that resulted in Oregon in the 1970s, 
And we also saw in the state of Virginia in the mid-20th century when land was auctioned off, it was farmland that was allegedly abandoned rather than the state actively searching for the families and their heirs, the land was sold off. And the interesting thing is that uh, there appears to be a racial component. In Oregon, whites were able to homestead in the 70s. You saw that happening in the state of New Mexico. So we know that not all land uh, was voluntarily given away. None was. We see right now in 2020, 2019, the struggles the indigenous people have in the Dakotas to stop a pipeline and stop the drilling and bulldozing. And no relief has been given, not by, uh, it wasn't given by Donald Trump, and, and President Biden hasn't given any relief. So we see uh, right now that people have to organize and support not only uh, as us as African people and, and the diaspora, but we have to also organize and support the indigenous people. And uh, water, as Brother Haki said, has become an essential thing. It's sold in grocery stores. It's sold. Uh, uh, icebergs are sold in the Middle East. I mean, there is a real uh, crisis, and now we are capitalizing. We see the imperialists capitalizing, and the capitalists capitalizing on resources like water and land. And we see the people starving in Yemen, in Afghanistan, in Ethiopia. So I say that um, we have to stand in solidarity. We have to urge um, and support countries like Venezuela that are trying to address the issue of indigenous people in the diaspora. And we need to stand in solidarity and publicize and make known the struggles going on with the drilling and the pipeline in the Dakotas. So I say that um, we have a chance to turn this around and we can do it. The The sales of the past those were things that are unimaginable today. And it was when uh, indigenous land was viewed as vacant land, but we know that is not true. It wasn't vacant then, and it is not vacant now. So the issue is reparations. And uh, that's a complex subject for the Africa, but that will, um, I'll stop at that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. This is Africa on the Move. Our theme tonight is our reflections on the year 2021 and the past. If you'd like to make any comments or have any questions, feel free to call in at 323-679-0841. Hit 1, and we will acknowledge um, your last four numbers. I think we have a caller. Caller, you're blocking your line. Normally don't do block phone calls, but we can bring you on and just actually be respectful. Caller one 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 one. Your question or comments. Welcome to Africa on the Move. 
Call one one one. Call one one one. Question comment, please. Okay, I guess the caller don't have any comments or questions. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back, continue to discuss our theme tonight, our reflections on the year 2020 and the past. This is Africa on the Move, and if I had all the money in the world, what would you do with it? Let's see what this person would do with it.
The second lesson we wish to speak of is the role of students. Students, of course, have a role in any society, capitalist society, social society, and their role is to institutionalize the values of the given society. Conscious, of course, in a capitalist system, this should be done unconsciously. But students are the spark of revolution. Of course, we make a difference here between revolution and reform. Those who want reform seek to work, I guess, from the top down. Those of us who understand fundamental changes know it must come from the bottom up. The students, of course, always work at the point of ideas in a society. Their job is to acquire knowledge, and of course, this knowledge which they acquired is geared by an ideology which tells them what to do with it. So if you're a doctor, instead of curing cancer, you should turn a man to a woman to get money even though she can't make babies. <laughs> that was life. Students, we say, at the point of ideas and the point of values. When one speaks of revolution, one speaks of overturning the values of a given society. If one is not speaking of overturning the values, then one speaks of reform. Thus, one can join the Democratic Party. We're not here to overturn its value. But certainly, if one is here for revolution and one is here for people's liberation, one would know that a corrupt instrument can never lead a people to liberation at all. Students, then, we say, come to question the values of a society. Of course, in relationship to the values, students, just like anyone in any society, have but two alternatives. Either they accept the values or they reject the values. It's as simple as that. Of course, if they reject the values, they have a responsibility to find alternative values. But either you accept cheating as a student or you reject it. It's as simple as that. Either you accept any value in the society or you reject it. Students, once having rejected a society, bringing together their ideas and their energies and strength to work against these values connected with the masses always give us revolution. Thus, from the 60s, while the reform movement, we were able to see that students, joined with the masses of the people, came to bring a lot of changes to the country. Thus, we must not confuse ourselves. The job of students is clear here. Their job is to spark revolution. Students cannot carry revolution through to the end. The final triumph of revolution must be carried through to the end by the masses, the workers, and the peasants. But students play a crucial role. We say they spark revolution. Certainly, if we did not recognize this, the enemy did. The FBI, before the 60s, did not have informers on college campus. After the 60s, they put an informer on every college campus in the country. Their job was simple, stop any activity at all that runs against the status quo. We say it's a mobilized people who can allow this, because when you're mobilized and fight like an animal, after you get tired and you wind down, then the enemy comes back stronger than he did before. Students spark revolution. And we must work everywhere to have students live up to their responsibility of sparking revolution. Here, of course, it calls for the students properly understanding the role of knowledge. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Capitalism is a backward and stupid system. Capitalism is a contemptuous system. Capitalism is a system based on profit. It will make a commodity out of everything. It will take my mother and sell her on a slave block. It will make students acquire knowledge and make them sell their knowledge on the slave block to advance themselves rather than serving humanity. The struggle becomes especially crucial for African students. We say no individual African in this country makes any advance unless it is a result as mass struggle. 
Any student sitting in any seat in any college in America know that they didn't gain that seat through their own individual talents, but only through the struggles of the masses of their people. Thus, that seat belongs to the people. The knowledge they acquire there must be used for the people, otherwise they have already betrayed the people and have repeated errors. you back to Africa Remove. You're listening to a clipping by Brother Kwame Ture as you were talking about lessons from the sixties we should learn. And this particular clipping reflect our theme tonight. We talked about our reflections on the year two thousand twenty one and the past. And to my panelists at this particular time, you know, this past week in the African community many people celebrate this institution called Kwanzaa. And with this institution, it has seven principles that it seeks to uh, internalize within our community to a yearly basis that we should try to practice and carry them out. Panelists, I can list the seven principles, and I can ask you among the seven principles, which one at this point in time you think our people need the most in order to continue to move forward? They all have value, but if you had to choose one, which one you think is the most pressing one that we need to uh, take hold to? We had the first one dealing with Umoja, unity. Second one, Kuka Chagalil, self-determination. The third one, Ujima, that deals with collective work and responsibility. The fourth principle, we're talking about Ujima, cooperative economics. And the fifth principle of Kwanzaa, we talk about Neil. It means purpose. The sixth, we talk about Kuma, which is creativity, and the last is money, faith. Then we have these seven principles. All of them uh, have they have a value within our community to make us become a better people. But among the seven, in terms of looking at the significance of we had to one out of seven, which one would we say the most significant and we should seek first? Brother Haki, what will be your response, Brother Haki? Yeah, I, I would say I would say Kuja Jackalia of self determination. And of course, Kuja Jackalia really uh embraces, you know, all the other the other six principles. So I think that has to be the starting point. I think a people has to first and foremost, in terms of, you know, you know, thriving in society, it has to have a sense of self determination. I mean, that is the basis. Uh, you know, if you don't have the term the the, the, the basis, it's very difficult in terms of talk about more abstract kind of uh, uh, pursuits. Uh, so I think that once the people understand the importance in terms of, you know, uh, the self-determination, then you begin to understand the things that you do and how you do them and what you do. It's important in terms of achieving the objective. So I think this is the basis of all all, all of Gutasaba, all the principles of Kwanzaa. So my, my view is that Kujijakal is definitely uh, the most uh, important um, 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 principle when it comes to uh, when it comes come to uh, Saba. Thank you, Brother Aggie. Brother Anthony, which one would you choose? I would choose Umoja, Unity, uh, because um, uh, we're being divided in, in so many ways, uh, uh, politically, religiously, uh, economically, etc., and I think, uh, and I think, without that, uh, the other, ob- I think all the objectives, uh, you know, play their role. 
But without uh, unity, uh, we cannot achieve our liberation. And uh, I would, uh, and you know, so I would say that uh, Umoja is the most important. Thank you. Anthony and Brother Moses, which one would you choose? I think I have to agree with Brother Haki. Uh, self-determination is definitely in the order today. Um, we have to have an independent viewpoint um, that that is gained through struggle, and uh, we have to advocate for our own self-interest. And you know, this is this requires uh, uh, a level of unity and and, uh, and cooperation, et cetera. And uh, but uh, but we have to have a clear vision, and um, and so self-determination I think is key. Thank you. And we now we go to Sister Eleanor. Um, I agree with the fellow panelists. Unity and uh, self-determination are essential. But like the Russian or the Bolshevik revolution. They utilize uh, art, um, kumba, creativity to uh, mobilize the masses from many different cultures and different groups to uh, form the former Soviet Union. And as we've seen through this show, Brother Africa, how art has been used, such as Diego Rivera's uh, mural. Uh, that showed in one quick view the struggles of Guatemala, the Eisenhower involvement, the CIA, and uh, United Fruits, and how it devastated and destroyed a nation just for the profit of a few capitalists to take over. United Cruz in Guatemala. So we can see how we can utilize art to form a collective and to unify a diverse group of people. So, uh, of course, Umoja, uh, Shaka Kundalini, and also Imani, faith. We have to have faith and believe that we can bring about collective change and we can do it. Uh, we've seen the impact the Green Party has had in the EU. We can see that same kind of development with some party in this country. So tonight I'm going to stand with Akumba, creativity. And I also, as I said, I'm trying to connect it with uh, unity and self-determination. But thank you. Kumba is it for me. Thank yeah. you, Eleanor. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. In terms of looking at all some new principles, I would like to have the panelists respond to this question. When you look at these seven principles, it would seem to me um, that they would seem to flourish at its best under the concept of Pan-Africanism with the understanding of the economic system we're talking about building would be socialism. Uh, can you speak to the relationship of how do you view these principles in the context from a pan-Africanism perspective and the pan-Africanism 
I understand that socialism, when you talk about building the economy, must be the foundation. I don't think these principles can work under capitalism. We start off with you, Brother Anthony. Your response. They do not work under capitalism. As a matter of fact, capitalism is the total opposite of the Nguzu Saba. If you look at their principles carefully, uh, one of them, uh, Ujama, uh, co- uh, is interpreted as cooperative economics. Uh, but from my understanding, uh, Ujama is Swahili for socialism. So, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, that principle, based on that pr- that one principle right there, uh, the Ngusu Saba can only be practiced under uh, a pan-African society, a society that's struggling to, to achieve pan-Africanism, uh, because uh, uh, the other principles are are incompatible with capitalism, which is which pushes individualism versus collectivism. And uh, so, uh, so I would say that uh, that uh, in order to practice the Ngusu Saba day in and day out, it would have to be under a, a pan-Africanist society. You always respond, brother Haki. Yeah, I, I concur. Uh, I concur. I think these values that the Ngusu Saba espouses could never be practiced under capitalism. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons why um, Kwan's is very, a very difficult thing to internalize is because to the extent that um, our people have internalized the values of capitalism, we can only um, uh, internalize the values of Guzzi Salva to the extent we talk about commercialism. So often we talk about the, the, the monetary aspect in terms of, terms of capitalism uh, uh, when we talk about Kwanzaa, not necessarily internalizing, you know, the much broader aspects in terms of what what the Guzzi actually espouses. So I think that in order for the, if in fact we were to internalize these values, it not only would it serve as a source of of guidance in terms of you know how we should move as a people, but also it would change us internally in terms of how we think. So once we start thinking collectively, we start thinking in terms of you know your problems and my problems. Uh, I can't take advantage of you uh, because that would be kind of productive to the community at large. Once you get people thinking along those lines, then there's no problem with the African Union that can't overcome. But first and foremost, they have to internalize those values. So I think to the extent that African people in America can internalize those values, African generally can internalize those values, then that would be a, a, a immense uh, step forward in terms of in terms of um, uh, you know, overturning you know this, this diabolical capitalist system, which is predicated on the worst uh, instincts of human beings. So clearly, uh, this is this is something that's conducive. Um, Gusasab is something that's conducive to to Pan Africanism. Brother Moses. Yeah, this this is true. Um, what's been said by Brother Anthony and Brother Aki. It's true, um, you know, it's, it's impossible to have really good uh, cooperative economics without, with, with, that is socialism. Uh, and um, so, you know, this, uh, the, the 
divided and divisions and um and animosity that the people feel from time to time it has to be overcome by our unity and um and cooperation and and uh, and to see our common interests and uh, and uh, pursue it and so you know this you know it's impossible uh, under capitalism to have the, the kind of uh, unity and uh, purpose um, and th- that um, is espoused by this doctrine. Thank you. And Sister Eleanor. Yes, uh, Brother Africa, definitely this uh, uh, philosophy is a um, socialist philosophy. And um, I agree with Brother Africa, and uh, I agree with uh, Brother Hakeem and Anthony and Brother Moses that you need to have uh, collective economics and unity, and the way, one tool for bringing the people together and uh, the mass education that would be needed is to utilize the arts. And I use Rivera's work as an example. And then in Russia, they used people in 1917 like Dan Gansky and others to unite many nations to form one great socialist nation. Um, That can be done here in the West. Uh, Recently, I see that the AU had adopted key Swahili as the common language for all African people on the continent as well as the diaspora um, to utilize this language, key Swahili, to communicate with each other and to educate and mobilize ourselves. So we can use the arts as a tool, music, um, uh, the visual arts, and uh, we can utilize the environment when we set up environmental programs that uh, are not only aesthetically appealing, but they unite the people and show them how to utilize water and to recycle and use um, new wonderful products such as uh, recycling polyester, which is a plastic, taking bags and turning them into clothing and other things. So we can have this collective economics only through socialism and worker-owned and controlled factories and and uh, workers controlling the mean of, means of production. And uh, as we begin to see that developing throughout the world, we'll see uh, unity growing amongst African people and the diaspora. And you'll see us working together in uh, collective economics. So I agree with the panelists that this is definitely a move towards socialism and collective work. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. You're listening to Africa on the Move. Our theme tonight 
is our reflections on the year 2021 and the past. If you have any views or comments you'd like to share with us, we encourage you to call in at 323-679-0841. Uh, we're going to be doing our closing, closing shortly. Before we close out, we're going to take a quick station break, and when we come back, panelists, she was given an assignment. We asked you to go to YouTube and look at this particular um, documentary by Dr. Claude Anderson titled, What is Inappropriate Behavior? And when you talk about critiquing our historical past, I believe he does a good job in terms of that aspect. We'd like to have some discussion on on that particular um, documentary when we come back. And to our listening audience, again, you can join us by calling in at 323-679-0841, hit 1, and we will acknowledge the last four numbers. So we're going to take our rubber share break. And we'll come back, we're going to talk about what is inappropriate behavior and what lessons uh, have we learned from that particular documentary by Dr. Claude Anderson. This is Brother Africa on Africa on the Moon. Passport Rav, Malcolm on Twitter, featuring Napoleon Dumb Legend. Let's the Bell Radio! What if Martin had Twitter and all that civil rights talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it This integration been disintegrating Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation His last speech got him assassinated Black business was booming, who wasn't just a consumer Controlling our narrative, we have more marriages And see what the damage did, they ain't that bad a bitch And welfare did it's way worse than the slavery I'll never be an agent, I don't care what they pay me Seemed like Nip had the same old story If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was a mystery Supremacy will go the extent to keep their history alive All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive Who be on the internet trying to divide? And use a hotel hustler Trying to fear people of that low vibe structure Agree to disagree and we ain't gotta tear our own down Argue in silence, they'll forever be our own down All I wanna say is that we're giving it away Soul ain't for sale and the devil is a fake Argue with the silence, but don't let it seal our fate Fight behind doors, but don't ever show our face Cause if Mom had Twitter, Malcolm had Twitter It'd be our own people do the trolling Spill ignorance and do the scolding Where we going? Cause if Mom had Twitter, and Malcolm had Twitter It'd be our own people do the trolling Spill ignorance and do the scolding Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you looking for be right in front of you Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new I said what if we been lied to, most of our freaking lives Every year coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right Your arrogance precedes you, what if your faith did I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me A man lay dead in the street today I must have hung my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. I want to get high today. Who 
got five on my little bundle of temporary Man, I wanna live long enough to be legendary Your statistics said by now that I'm gonna be dead and buried But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already And I march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose Two different tribes and we fighting the same person Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us Cosmic companionship sustained me after my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away.
Mama Africa. We love you. This is Brother Africa going to move. Yes, we're in the seat and we're taking the heat. As we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We must understand that we must use music as a tool for liberation. So we must also understand information is a tool that can evolve us to a higher level of understanding and participation. We want this issue of unity of thought. And only we can get this unity of thought, we must have the proper information that allows us to do this. So what we're going to do right now, we're going back to our political panelists and analysts, and they had a chance to listen to a, a documentary, which can be found on YouTube platform titled Dr. Claude Anderson, What is Inappropriate Behavior? Now, as we talk about this theme, our reflections of the year 2021 and the past, um, I think the video typifies um, the importance of understanding the past so we can um, move forward in the future. So we're going back to our political panels and we're going to ask them to critique the video, talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we can start over with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what would you like to share, what would you like to share in terms of the critique in that particular video? Uh, Dr. Claude Anderson, what is inappropriate behavior? What could, you, what could our people learn from it? Yes, they could, uh, they could learn uh, that we do not have an adequate understanding of our history. I thought that was one of the important lessons I took from this video. And uh, inappro- by inappropriate behavior, um, Dr. Anderson indicates that Africans in the U.S. behave as if they're like all the other U.S. citizens, which they're not. We came here under different circumstances than most uh, immigrants came to the U.S., and uh and our situation is unequal. A lot of people don't understand that. Uh a lot of people think that we were playing from the same level playing field that all the other immigrants did. We're not. And um and uh an inadequate presentation of our history does not deal with the nearly 500 years of subjugation, oppression, and chattel slavery that our ancestors and our contemporaries are going through. And uh, and uh, that uh, that's the positive I took away from that. Um, and also he um he also gives a different interpretation of uh the uncle tom uh you know uh novel that was written by Harriet Beecher Stowe during the 19th century and that uh that actually uh uncle tom uh according to his, to his analysis uncle tom was a fighter against our oppression it was Sambo, the other character in in the in the novel, that was more for uh, you know uh, going uh, going along to get along, 
you know, uh, that's characterized by Uncle Tom. Uh, the other key piece I drew from it is I don't think Dr. Anderson goes far enough to the root of our problem, and that is we do not control any resource in the world that is needed by the uh, uh, by the other ethnic groups that make up uh, the U.S. population. That is a key reason why resources don't turn around in our community they, the way they do in other communities. And uh, so those are some of the, the key things I took away from this video. Okay, thank you, Anthony. Brother Haki, your critique of that video. Hey, Brother Africa, I didn't get a chance to listen to that video, so I have to, I have to pass on this one. Okay, and we're going to see if Sister Lenore had a chance to view this video. Sister Lenore, Eleanor. Yes, uh, Yes, Brother Africa. As Brother Anthony says, we uh, definitely don't understand our history. And uh, our revolutionary heroes, like uh, the gentleman uh, portrayed in Uncle Tom's cabin, he was a revolutionary and a liberator and a landowner. And uh, we definitely need to uh, learn more, more, more of our history. And you see that there is a real strong national movement to suppress the examination and explore and the exploring of uh, uh, the African diaspora's history in in this country and in North America. Um, I just want to wish Brother Anthony a happy birthday again. And I uh, apologize to my fellow analysts, you, Brother Africa, and our audience. I'm a little under the weather this evening, but uh, uh, I definitely think that our history needs to be examined and and I also found it interesting. Uh, I guess we'll get to the next video shortly. But thank you so much. Thank you, Sister Noah. Do you have a response to the video, Brother Moses? Yeah, the video was very interesting. Uh, he had a, a lot of historical data there, uh, a lot of facts, and uh, his analysis was, was fairly good. Uh, um, I think you know, in terms of the solution, uh, um, I don't know that he 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 was presenting any any uh, comprehensive solution uh, uh, other than consciousness raising and uh, and uh, being aware of our history and saying that it's inappropriate behavior such as Rodney King when he said after he got beaten everything he he said it was inappropriate to him to be saying that. Why can't we get along? And uh, he, he, um, he talked, I think, you know, appropriate behavior can only be come about when you have a clear objectives and a, uh, a program of action. Uh, um, 
how do you talk about appropriate behavior without without laying out a a, a conscious plan of action? And so that's mm-hmm. that's my shortcoming. But uh, but in terms of the history of racism and and bigotry and uh, and our plight here, you know, he was very good. Thank you. Thank you, Moser, and to our listening audience, this is Africa on the Move. Right now, we're going to move towards our finalization of this particular program tonight by asking our political panelists and analysts to give us their final thoughts on the theme tonight. But before we do that, we just would like to remind you all of a couple of announcements. First announcement, we'd like to remind you to remember, you can get a nice New Year gift for someone of your loved ones family members by going to the website www.a-aprp and purchase a book from Pan-African Roots. They publish a two-volume book, one and two, titles, We Demand the Full Disclosure or Disorganization of All Slavery Era Records. It's it's an excellent book to be in your library and an excellent book for a gift. Again, if you want to understand the present, you must go back and understand the past. You can't understand the present well and not have any sense of understanding what took place in the past. So please check that out. Go and support the, the author, Brother Bob Brown, and support your community by buying this particular book. Next, we'd like to remind you also that there will be a feeder ride, an education black historical um, tour to Cuba, by the African Awareness Association. Come and join them and us and other African organizations as we travel to Cuba in July from the 23rd through 31st. For more information, please visit our our website at www.aaa-cubus. So make sure you put those in your um, things to do. During this week, and last and not least, we want to remind you, if you're in the D.C. area, come and check out this upcoming program as it deal with the D.C. Metro Coalition is in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. They'll be celebrating the 63rd anniversary of the Cuban Revolution. That will take place on Friday, January the 7th, 2022, from 7 to 9 p.m. at St. Stephen Church, Auditorium. Address is... 1525 Newton Street, Northwest. So come out and check out the program. So right now we're going back to our political panelists and we're going to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, to close out our program for today, as related to our theme, our reflection of the year 2021 in the past, give us your final thoughts. It's been a been an interesting show. Um, um, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Um, um, I'd like to thank uh, Brother Africa for allowing me to be on the show, and it's been, uh, like I said, very educational. Um, I think you know that we have to we have to get organized, uh, as Brother Anthony constantly says, and uh, and we have to understand our past and uh, and study so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past, and so uh, that's. That's the key. Uh, uh, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. 
And Brother Moses, before you leave right there, we can ask you if you can. Uh, you know, this is a show also would like to uh, promote the concept of organization. Now, people need to be organized. That's one of the things we have not properly learned yet. Uh, can you just briefly mention a little bit, what is the D.C. Metro Cuba Coalition, and how can people just participate and support it? Well, the D.C. Metropolitan Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution is a is an organization. Uh, it's basically a mass organization. Ultimately, uh, uh, anybody can can join who's who's dedicated to uh, uplifting the the struggle of the Cuban people and in solidarity with the struggle of the Cuban people. And we we not only uh, try to raise consciousness about about the Cuban Revolution, but we're looking for people who are revolutionary who think that we need that kind of revolution here in the U.S. of A. And so, you know, it's a very progressive organization in that sense. And, uh, and, uh, we, we share information and, uh, and try to, uh, raise the conscience of the community. We sponsor programs. We started out originally, um, as the free the Cuban five coalition. Um, uh, a lot of us who were, who started in that organization and transformed, into the solidarity with the Cuban Revolution, and so um, it's been going on for a number of years now, uh, uh, well over ten years. Uh, and uh, it's like I said, um, anyone who who's dedicated to struggle should join. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. We're going to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, give up your final thoughts for tonight. Well, Brother Africa, we're always talking about Brother Anthony shares the importance of organization. And certainly, we know how threatened Hubert Humphrey was by organization. When the Black Panthers established their lunch breakfast program, he called it the greatest threat to the nation and that the minds of the youth would be developed and they would have an opportunity to learn about themselves, about other nations and grow. And we see that was the greatest threat to the U.S. And they divided us rather than uniting us. You saw Brother Moringa, Dr. Moringa, uh, in a great struggle with the uh, Black Panthers. And in effect, they were people working with common goals and should have come together instead of being divided. And the tool that they used against us in the 60s, in the 70s and 80s, was uh, the William Lynch practice where you divide and conquer. They, they, they wanted to use the word Messiah, but with the Panthers program, there wouldn't be a Messiah. There would be an organized group. We know the Messiah has already come, Jesus Christ. But when you have a mobilized, educated people, you can see political change. And we can't start with this broken system. We have to create a new system where workers are in charge of the resources and we get rid of 
this narrow percent of these billionaires. And and that really can be done. And uh, I want to thank you, Brother Africa, for allowing me to participate in this evening's program. I want to wish Brother Anthony a happy birthday. My condolences to uh, the families of Bishop Tutu, of Chuck Hoffman, Kaufman, and uh, I want you all to remain safe and uh, have a good week, and I look forward to joining you again in the future. Thank you so much, Brother Africa. And we thank you, Sister Eleanor, for your contribution to today's program. And we now will go to Brother Haki from the African Awareness Association. Brother Haki, your final thoughts? And also tell us a little something about your organization, Brother Haki. Well, you know, Brother Africa, you know, one of the things uh, in terms of, uh, you know, when I talk about the perils, the potential we are facing in society, many people think this is some, somewhat um Hyperbolic, you know. We think that when we talk about, when I talk about, or when we talk about the the problems confronting the African community, and we talk about the potential for violence, many people dismiss that as hysterics. But anyway, it's it's important. I want to point a statistic. I think is very, very important in terms of the point that we're trying to make with respect to violence in the society. Recent reports indicated that suicide is the tenth leading cause of all deaths in the United States. In 2019, they, they talked about the fact that 40 close to 48,000 people committed suicide in America. But the same year, 1.38 people, 1.38 million people attempted suicide. Now, what is interesting, we're talking about, dirt, we're talking about basically 14 and 1,000 people committing suicide. So we're talking roughly 130 suicides per day. Now, interestingly enough, of, of these suicides, 7% of all suicides are white males. So we're talking about a situation where White male, white adult males make up 30% of the U.S. population, but we're talking about 7% of all suicides, according to the Journal of Psychology and Psychiatry. This is a, this is informative, in particular because we've got to understand that given the the, the state of depression, people are more vulnerable to propaganda. Uh, one of the things people who are depressed tend to be in a lot of pain, and in certain one things, one way to alleviate that pain is to give 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 uh, those who are depressed um, some some object or uh, some others. They can, you know, um, uh, project their anger onto, or, or displace their anger onto. And so, what happens is that when you talk about these large number of people, you know, who are in fact, you know, depressed, given the kind of propaganda that exists in society, you they can so easily manipulate this this particular group in terms of carrying out uh, violence, you know, in his name. And so one of the things we we have to I think we have to begin to understand is that even a lot of people who participate in this violence are not necessarily racist people. But given the fact that the, the level of depression that's sweeping the society, which is increasing yearly, when we talk about the level of depression that's actually increasing, then we're talking about increasing the number of people who are vulnerable to all kinds of uh, uh, propaganda. So one of the things that people in the power understand is that, you know, not only do they understand the power of propaganda, but they understand that specifically uh, if they continue to elevate the numbers of people who are depressed, they'll be even more effective in terms of their propaganda. Recently, the, uh, the, um, the um, CIA, FBI released a report talking about civil war in the United States. 
and, and, and one of the things that they talk about, they talk about the fact, you know, that um, the January 6th insurrectionists was just a prelude to what's coming down the road. Even though they don't allude to the, 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 um, the depression statistics, they are very, very clear in terms of, you know, um, the ability in terms of institutions to, to, to form ideas uh, which are palatable to the masses of the people. So when you talk about issues being palatable, uh, um, palatable to the masses of people, they're particularly palatable to people who are depressed. And so therefore, we, so if we say one plus one equals two, then we understand that given this propensity in terms of depression and sweeping society and the effectiveness of propaganda, then clearly we understand that the numbers of people who are willing to carry out violence actually increases exponentially. So we have to fundamentally understand that. And as I alluded to before, everybody who appreciates this kind of violence isn't necessarily racist. So this kind of depression that capitalism does a very good job in terms of facilitating is, is, is in fact, uh, it's not going anywhere. And so as, 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 as an African person in society, then we have to understand that given this eventuality, the question becomes for African people, what are you going to do? You can say, well, Brother Hakeem is just talking nonsense. I don't believe it. I don't agree with it. And that's fine. But the bottom line is that, you know, when you talk about the flow of history, you talk about the propensity, you know, of states to use propaganda for the sole purpose of pitting one group against another, uh, then certainly we have to understand that if it has the propensity to do such a thing, in addition to the population, a lot of the population being depressed, we can reason that they're going to be first successful in terms of their ability to carry out uh, a, a program which uh, essentially justifies violence uh, against one another. So clearly, Brother Africa, this is an issue of concern, and people have to, be, have to become verbal concerned, have to become organized, legal institutions. And uh, the question becomes, what are we going to do? Now, people think that you got time, but the bottom line is that we're up against history. And to the extent that we're going to prevail in terms of the, these, these potentialities, it's going to, to a large extent, depending upon you know, how well we organize, how, 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 how much we understand what the issues are. And if we don't understand what the issues are, if we're not organized, then, we're, we're, then, then the, the odds are that the price that we're going to pay as a result of our inaction is going to be considerable. So clearly I encourage people to build those institutions because uh, we need them, you know, uh, we need those, those, those uh, cultural organizations. We need those stuff because the situation is very, very grim. And as always, Brother Africa, I encourage people to unravel the matrix uh, because clearly, you know, um, you know, their ability to deceive is very, very good. And so therefore, unless we are equally determined in terms of understanding the re- reality, then we become vulnerable to propaganda ourselves. So clearly we get our work cut off for us. And I encourage people to get busy in terms of doing that kind of work, in terms of providing that clarity that we so desperately need. And Brother Africa, in concluding, you have a good night. You just say, Brother Hockey, thank you for your contribution to today's program. And we now will go to Brother Anthony. You'll find the thoughts, Brother Anthony, and will you share a little bit about your organization, the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC? Certainly. I want to thank you for having me on the program tonight, and uh, thank you and uh, the fellow panelists and the listening audience for their participation. And uh, let's see, and and I wish everybody a happy and prosperous New Year and a happy Kwanzaa. And in order to put 
the Kwanzaa principles into practice, uh, you have to, uh, one has to join an organization that is working to achieve Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. One such organization is the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. We have been working to build a mass independent Pan-African political party for over 40 years since uh, Kwame Nkrumah called for its formation in 1967 in the Handbook of Revolutionary Warfare. And uh, we are, we seek to uh, organize the masses of our people to achieve uh, this objective. This objective is the only objective which will solve all the problems facing African people worldwide and will defeat uh, capitalism in all of its manifestations, such as imperialism, Zionism, racism, etc. You can find out more about the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, by visiting our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. There, in addition to uh, purchasing uh, Bob Brown's book uh, uh, on uh, releasing uh, and digitizing the slavery records, uh, you can find out more about the history of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party and objective Pan-Africanism and uh, some of the uh, catalysts uh, in that struggle. And I would encourage everybody to study our history. And therefore, once we understand that, we understand the necessity of trying to build Pan-Africanism. Thank you. And again, for our listening audience, you want to find out more about the AAPRPGC, please check out the website that Brother Anthony stated. It's www.a-aprp-gc.org. And we would like to thank all of our political panel analysts for their participation to on today's program. We'd like to thank you, the listening audience, that allowed us to come to your homes today where we could speak truth to power to the powerful and powerless and we would like to remind you for this year new year 2022 if you don't do but one thing this year we actually do one thing for the people and that one thing is for you to get organized and the only way you can get organized is to join the organization when you join the organization you now have a weapon that can help you liberate your people and humanity organization is the weapon for liberation. Please, Africans, let's get organized. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday, same time, same place. Spirit of Word, this is Africa on the Move as your host, Brother Africa. We'll see you next week. And like always, 
Marvin Gaye said, what's going on? But we can say you can, you can find out what's going on by being organized and joining the organization. We'll see you next week, and we'll continue to describe to go forward, ever, backward, novel, fighting for Pan-Africanism, which is properly defined as a total liberation and unification of Africa and a scientific socialism. That's our goal. That's our fight. That's your fight. That's your goal. Let's get it. Let's get it. We'll see you next week for whatever.
king, king is my one, one. Yes, he's my father. Yes, he's my son. I can talk to him because he understands everything I go through and everything I am. He's my support system. I can't live without him. The best thing since life's bread is his kiss, his hug, his lips. His touch, and I just want the whole world to know about my black brother. I love you, and I'll never try to hurt you. I want you to know that I'm here for you forever, true. Cause you're my black brother, strong brother, and there is no one above you. I want you to. A lot of my brothers got education. Now check it, you got your Wall Street brother, your blue collar brother. You're down for whatever, chilling on the corner, brother. You're talented brother, and to every one of y'all behind bars, you know that Angel loves you. I love you for staying strong. You got it going. 
Dale, hablamos.
Marcus can't work, come to pass. Marcus can't work, come to pass. Can't get no food to eat. Can't get no money to spend.
your motherfucking drugs up in my spot. All you find in my closet is a high top. And my motherfucking ticket to the skybox. Hold up, nigga. I'm a rider. Use a roller. Yes, the controller. Make me mad. That's when I get swole up. The incredible hocus bipolar. Come out the cup. Knock off the rust. Throw my hands up. So you still want to bust. The Trojan horse is full of excessive force. When they try to get aggressive, niggas off the court.
Down in Angola. 